the Rock and Roll Podcast. I am Eric Phillips, and I wholeheartedly endorse this podcast. Welcome along to episode one of the Rock and Goal podcast, the official podcast of Dumbarton Football Club. My name is Fraser Clark, and I'm joined here in our state-of-the-art podcast covered by Chris McMillan. And our special guest today is a man who has already made some history in his second spell at Dumbarton. He's one of the most recognisable figures in the lower leagues, a man who scored some of the greatest goals in the SFL, and who's wound up fans of every club from Elgin City to Stranraer. He's a man who I'm absolutely sure referees are also delighted to see back in the senior game. It's Big John Gemmell. But before we grill John on a career that's taken him from The Rock to, well, The Rock again, we're going to take a quick look back at the first month of the season. Yeah, we are. We are going to just have a little recap. And obviously it's been a fantastic start to the season league-wise. But we're just going to touch on the, the League Cup results at the start as well. And specifically, I remember after that defeat against uh, Sterling Albion back at Start of July, it already it's seems July like... July the 9th or something. It already like seems like ages ago, doesn't it? And you... I spoke to you. You were quite worried about that, weren't you? And you, you didn't really see it, what was going to come yeah, so it, far. It, it felt like there was... After that Sterling Albion game, it felt like there was still a hangover from relegation the previous season. And I think everybody went in with a wee bit of hope, but they went in with the back of their mind... What if it isn't any better? What if things maybe don't improve? What if our performance, we've brought in maybe, I can't remember, eight or nine new players by that point, and what if it hasn't improved? And I left that day thinking it hasn't improved. And that was more worrying, possibly even more worrying than relegation. When we left at the end of that game, you think, right, okay, fresh start, new league. To leave that against a Sterling Albion team who you'd imagine come the end of the season will be round about where Suns want to be. They all aim to be challenging for promotion. Suns are aimed to be challenging for promotion. Similar support, similar budgets. You look at their squads and they're, they're quite similar player-wise, I would say, as well. And I left that extremely worried. And and that worried me. Yeah. Because I didn't, I didn't see that game. And you know how optimistic I usually am. And I always try and see positives in things. And I left well, that. I think you're quite realistic as well. So yeah. when someone is realistic and sees the game and football for what it is when you were that worried that's when I was I was a bit concerned about the, the, the opening start yeah and I didn't go up to the Aberdeen game uh, I'd moved house that week so I I listened to the Aberdeen game well I kind of had the alerts oh, I know on. you've moved house because I didn't get a lift today so <laughs> I listened to the alerts and things like that coming in. there was no chance I could do it but I was sat painting a cupboard for most of that and thought oh, well go up the road 2-0 defeat sound like Brett Long had a fantastic game and actually then I spoke to a few people after it and they said Look, yeah, Brett Long had a fantastic game, but the performance was positive. It looked like there'd been a reaction. And I went up to Peterhead on the Saturday, many reasons um, for that one. I love Balmour as a ground. Uh, I was absolutely sick of painting and needed something to do that got me away from it. And went up there, not really with hope, but kind of in the thing, like, I kind of want to, I want to give this team a second chance. I want to see it. And that day, Suns were excellent. Peterhead went down to 10 men uh, in the stroke of half time, but Suns were excellent. And Finlay Gray in particular, I thought, hold on a minute here. You know, he'd, he'd looked all right in pre-season. He signed the deal, spoke to him, and, and he was a nice guy. Something that really kind of made me warm to him as well is the fact that his family are Dumbarton fans. So all of a sudden, you've got that thing yeah, that you want, yeah, yeah. you want him to do well. And up at Peterhead, watched him and thought, hang on a minute here. Like, I think there's been, there's been a lot of people thinking that already. I, I think there has been. Like, hold on a minute, we've got a wee bit of a gem here. And he scored a brilliant goal to open the scoring, and then he was fouled. He basically picked up possession, was taken out, red card, and that from that point onwards, Suns were really, really professional. And it wasn't like they went up there and won 5-0. 
But I think as a manager and Stevie Farrell afterwards would have looked at that and he would have been delighted because it was very professional. It was 2-0 win away from home against a team in the league above. They went down to 10 men. You didn't change the way you played. You just, I think Peter Hyde maybe had, had one serious chance after they went down to 10 men. Um, Dumbarton managed the game superbly. And I thought, right, hold on a minute here. This team is already showing traits that we maybe didn't see last season in terms of here's the way they're set up. They believe in the tactics that they've got and they're going out there and putting in a performance that nobody's going to be, you know, 10 years time going, I remember that game up at Peterhead, what a performance that was. But it was a really, like, really polished performance. And then came the Wraith game where, so if we talk about Dumbarton maybe getting themselves into that good position, a goal up, things in their favour, and then just killing the game and seeing it off and giving Peterhead no hope. That was something we didn't see last season. They always had a mistake in them at the back. And then the Wraith game came along and in that game, Dumbarton defensively were absolutely fantastic. And I thought, hang on a minute, that's us putting a performance away from home where you've gone and got a really professional 2-0 win and you followed it up with a 0-0 draw against a, a Wraith team who have a decent range of attacking options. They had like Dario Zanato who's away to Hamilton played that day and Jamie Gullen up front. You know, guys who would be standout players in League 2. And Dumbarton had held them at bay. Harry Brown in goals was excellent. Gregor Buchanan and, and Stuart Carswell looked like a really good partnership. The fullbacks were good. And you thought, hmm, there might, there might be something here. And that's when I started, that's when things started to change, I think. It's nice to see how <laughs> your trepidation in your mind just <laughs> like, well, maybe, just like, maybe. But another thing I want to say as well is, do you think having more players, it's been a far more relaxed pre-season, I would imagine, Last season, Stevie Farrell had to build essentially an entire squad in, you know, what, six weeks. And this year, he's had a lot more players who have already been here. He knows they've probably had a bit more of a plan. He's, do you think that's made a big difference as well? Hugely, because I said in, throughout the whole of last season, if you said to, you get 10 Dumbarton fans and lined them up, and you said, I want you to write down your strongest team. You then went into Stevie Farrell, said, write down your strongest team. You went into Franco or Eric or whoever, maybe even the players, and said, write down your strongest team, strongest formation. I think you'd have got 15, 16 different answers. We, we struggled to name that on many, many occasions last yeah, season. I, I, do, I mean, it was even in positions. We'd say, who's the strongest in this position or what formation suits? We didn't really know. Now, I think if you said to any Dumbarton fan, right now, at this moment in time that we're recording this podcast, just before the Elgin game, so it might all change, but if you said to Dumbarton fans, strongest formation, strongest starting 11, I think everybody would put down probably the same 11 names. And that continuity is massive. And you can see it, I mean, we saw it at Stenhousemuir last week, that it's a team that they kind of know where each other are going to be. So Aaron Linus and Calvin Orsi on the right were linking up really, really well because now they've played together what's that, four league games in a row, there's that kind of good understanding between them, they know what the other one's strengths and weaknesses are, and Stenishmuir, they scored the goal down their left-hand side, but it was really the only time that Ewan O'Reilly, who is a really, really good League 2 player, the only time he really got much of a sniff, and that was down to the two of them and how well they were working, and that, those partnerships all over the park, you can see them starting to develop, if it's Buchanan and Carswell, if it's McNiff and Wild, two guys who know each other from Clyde, if it's, you know, the sort of axis that we've got in the middle of the park with Finlay Gray, Ryan Blair and Joe McKee, you can see that there's already wee units building in this team. And I don't think last season there was ever really those individual units in each position in the team. Yeah, it felt a lot of times last season that... And it kind of stemmed from that pre-season and the, and the rush and this, to put together a squad. It's like you're always just kind of chasing a little bit. Always just slight on the back foot. And like you said, these relationships that are forming on the pitch, you said that you've been able to see some 
real, you know, tactically sound football already this season. We've not even touched on the the league start, really. I mean, that, that first game, like, could you believe how well that went? Like, 2-0 up in, what was it, five minutes? Yeah, 2-0. I think, I think it might have been four. Four minutes, excuse me. Yeah, sorry. That's... Declan Byrne will be charging in here to tell you it was four minutes. But, no, it was superb. And I think, in a way, that result was underplayed because of the second half. And people, mm. if you if we scored, say we'd scored those goals in the 41st minute and the 67th minute, I think everyone would come away and say that was a really solid performance. It was, you know... Defended pretty well, keeper made some big saves when called upon, looked a threat going forward, hit the bar and maybe could have scored a couple more. But because the two goals came and then there was effectively 90 minutes of football after them, people left and went, well, I'm not sure about that second half. We didn't maybe offer as much going forward. And it's like, like well, You almost forget about the first five yeah, minutes. And yeah. it's like, well, no, we didn't offer as much going forward because Suns were 2-0 up. That's managing the game and that's intelligent and it's killing off any hope that Sterling Albion have. And it's like, Football fans are terrible for this, and I think I, I possibly did it to a degree after the Albion Rovers game. See if your teams are woeful for 94 minutes, but then they score in the 95th minute and win 1-0. You leave and go, I would probably deserve that. I was, I was, you know, it's a sign of league champions and all that stuff. If your team scores after one minute and basically just, for want of a better term, manage, clog their way through it, nobody leaves saying, that was a great performance or I would deserve that. They go, I think we maybe got a wee bit lucky. And... It's almost like that result maybe was underappreciated, and if you look at how Sterling Albion have done since then, that result was maybe underappreciated because the goals came so early. Yeah, I think it's a strange one, like you say, and I'm a firm believer in a good start, especially at home, no matter what division you're in. And yeah, does a start get any better than scoring in the first minute? No, it it does seem a bit a bit strange, especially in the context that you're discussing. But yeah, I think a, a marker setting win. First game of the season at home in front of the fans, it's just imperative and like the way that they've been able to continue it on as well, and the early goals and then in the next game comes the late goals. Yeah, with a late goal, I should say. And and it's worth pointing out as well that, and I don't think Stevie Farrell will mind me saying it. I don't think Tim Barton played well at Clifton Hill, and I think if Albion Rovers had taken a point, that would have been fair. I think if they'd taken three points maybe you could say that they didn't threaten Brett Long an awful lot but for a team with 10 men they were excellent I thought they did everything you could have asked for they defended well they looked to threat on the break they worked incredibly incredibly hard which is you know one of the most patronising things I think people say they work really hard well that should be the bare minimum but when you're down to 10 men it's quite a warm day Clifton Hill's pitch is quite difficult and after 20 minutes against a really fit looking Suns team I, I think they merited something there and I said after that, and it got picked up a few places as well, I think, but said after that, that that was either a fluke win against a team who are tipped to struggle, or it was the sign of a team who are going to be challenging at the right end, that they didn't play well, that, okay, things were effectively in Sun's favour, in that Albion Rovers went down to 10 men quite early on, but they didn't play well, and they left with three points, courtesy of a late goal, because they didn't give up. And how many times do you see, you know, you talk at the top level, how many times do you see Man City or Liverpool maybe not playing well, Rangers and Celtic are excellent at it, and then they bag a goal in the last minute, and it might be a fluke, it might be scrappy, it might be an own goal, but that's what wins you titles, ultimately. It's, it's just something that we've not really seen in the last couple of seasons, certainly not since I've been covering Dumbarton as well. Like, my mind just went to the last minute winner against Peterhead, but that was... That was a completely different type of last minute yeah. goal, really. Um, you mentioned in the answer there about the fitness as well, and Stevie Farrell's mentioned it as well, and I've listened to the John Gemmell podcast on, on the terrace as well, and he mentioned it as well, the sports scientists coming in. You 
really seeing a visible notice in the fitness of these players already at this stage of the season. 100%. And I don't know what it is about them. There's just... And I hope that you'll see it today. This will be your first chance to see Suns live at Elgin today. And, and I hope that you see it because... There, you can't quite put your finger on it, but there's just something about them. That I think it's even sharpness. Maybe like the 84th, 85th minute, you're expecting players shouldn't really... They might tire a wee bit. Some of them might tire a wee bit. But by and large, at this stage in the season, certainly, you shouldn't really be seeing players dead in their feet after 70 minutes or whatever. But they look sharp in the last, say, 10 minutes of the game. So you look at the Annan game, got that goal 84, 85 minutes or, or whatever it was against uh, Stenhouse Muir last week Finlay Gray turned Ross Forbes on the edge of the box and run 60 yards I, I mean it was a bizarre goal, it was like something from FIFA when you turn the difficulty down and with the greatest respect in the world, Ross Forbes is not keeping up with him in that no. situation and, and neither was that weather one and <laughs> neither was just about anybody who tried to but that that's not just fitness you know, you could you could train me like a greyhound and I could probably run that distance after 90 minutes of football but it's the sharpness, it's knowing where to run, it's having the composure at the end of it. Okay, the initial shot was saved, but he stayed in his feet and he chipped it over the keeper. It's such a shame that the initial shot was saved, it would have almost been the perfect goal. He did so well, like you say, with the, the rebound finish, the second chance, but oh. <laughs> See, when I was watching it the first time when I saw the so highlights, well, and you're just like, in. well, he's obviously going to finish this, and you're like, oh. <laughs> but I mean, yeah, what an effort that was. But you're right, exactly, that, that's exactly what I'm talking about. And, and that's not just fitness, that's sharpness. Mm. And... Anybody can be fit, but not And that desire and hunger as well, right? Yeah, and that's something that I've seen not just from Finley. Finley has an unbelievable engine on him. I mean, he's charging all over the park, but every single player, I would say, looks sharper than they did at the start of the season. Now, you'd expect that as pre-season or whatever, but noticeably sharper than they did at the start of the season. And I think that the sports scientist, not to blow smoke up his backside here, but I think he has to take an awful lot of credit for that. And I think maybe privately certainly that Stevie Farrell will be looking and going that was a that was a really wise decision yeah it might end up being one of the best signings he's made yeah and certainly this summer I, just we have mentioned it a, a little bit here but like on this early and late goal thing you know we've seen the early goals in a couple of the games late goals in what I think three or three of the four league games or whatever is I know it's early but is that enough can you see a pattern there Do you, it's weird. It's one of those things that you, you don't, don't want, want to get too excited. Yeah, and, and we're playing Elgin City in a You're couple of hours. You're very excited, aren't you? <laughs> yeah, but obviously I'm keeping my professional demeanour up. But play Elgin City in a couple of hours and could lose 5 0, and then this podcast is going to sound really daft. So it's like nobody wants to say anything that jinxes it. But let's look at the bare facts. Dumbarton have their best start to a season since 1959. If fans can't be optimistic after that, regardless of what happens in a couple of hours' time and when people are listening to this uh, the following week, Regardless of what happens, this is the best start in my lifetime. This is the best start in my dad's lifetime. This is my best start in uh, probably the majority of Suns fans' lifetime. They've not seen this. Yeah, it's and ridiculous when you put it like that. And if you if you can't enjoy that, absolutely, then why, why are you watching football? Yeah, if you're just... Dumbarton are going to lose a game. It's going to happen. It's how they bounce back to that that's important. But we've already seen how they kind of cope with a bit of adversity. And, don't you know... I think if I was looking as an outsider, if this was a fourth athletic start to the season or Stennis Muir start to the season, I would look at that and go, wow, they've had a great start to the season. They're probably now my league favourites. Or, you know, I'd certainly think that. And if we were playing them, I'd think that's that's probably the most difficult game we could get. I don't want to say any of that. And I don't want to think any of that. And I feel guilty for saying or thinking any of that because I'm a Suns fan. Well, there'll be this little voice in the back of your head as well that's saying if you were watching another team have the start that Dumbarton had have, your other fans will be sitting there going, ah, well, the bubble's going to burst. And yeah. it's going to burst quickly. 
Yeah, uh, yeah, and and that could happen. But then you look at it, and it's something that popped up in my timeline the other day that the only team in the country I think who haven't dropped points, Celtic. Celtic, yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So only one team can have a better start to the season now than Dumbarton can, and it's the champions of the Premier League who have a budget of five million times what Stevie Farrell's working with or something like that. They certainly don't have a podcast studio of this quality though, I must say. No, they, they definitely won't have that. No. The Rock and Roll Podcast. As you can see, we are now joined by a man who is one of the most recognisable figures in the lower leagues. A man who has scored some of the greatest goals in the SFL. Don't, don't blush, John. <laughs> who has wound up fans of every club from Elgin City to Stranraer and who I'm absolutely sure referees are delighted to see back in senior football. It's big John Gemmell. Now, Anyone who listened to the first part of the podcast and didn't just skip forward to the bit where John starts speaking uh, will have already heard that, but you weren't here, and I right. thought I had to give you that touching intro. And I had to ask you as well, scorer of some of the best goals in SFL history, I'm thinking that overhead kick up at Gayfield for Steny, is that the best goal that you've scored? Aye, probably. <laughs> I think just because people, my size, people don't expect you to be able to do stuff like that, but I do try things like that all the time, do you know what I mean? But um, ah, usually, usually in the living room with my daughter, and that's really... <laughs> Try to show her that I did used to be a player at one point. How was the landing at Gayfield on that one? <laughs> ah, it was pretty sore to be fair. I think that was the least windiest day I'd ever played up there to be fair. But um no, yeah, it was. I, I scored a few I've scored a few good goals and and, and that was um that was definitely up there in, in a top five, definitely. Now, obviously a lot's been said and, and written by people like me about your return to Dumbarton. So we're going to try and be a wee bit different and, and jump back, especially to your first spell at Dumbarton and, and to the memories from that. Maybe delve a wee bit deeper into your career as much as we can on, on a match day too. But aye, take me back to the start of your time at Dumbarton and I was looking at it. Your debut came off the bench in a game at Recreation Park, Alloa. And Suns were 4-0 down after 24 minutes. What, right. what do you remember from that day? You, you'll remember more than me. I was like, I should have, I should have really looked at it this last night before coming today. But, <laughs> Surely nah. the manager just didn't tell you right so it gets back into this you know sort this out yeah you're 4-0 down I don't know about that but um, no nah, I mean I remember I remember signing uh, with Dumbarton and uh, obviously I knew Paul I knew Paul Martin from my time at Queen's Park um, and yeah I, as I said I actually always thought I was a lot older when I came to Dumbarton I didn't realise we were actually just talking about it in the car on the way down that I was, I was only 21 I think no, I, thought, I was going to say I thought you were a lot older yeah, as well so but I was about 9 so I was still I was still quite I was still, <laughs> I was still quite inexperienced and all that as well and and my record here wasn't wasn't that great do you know what I mean I think only 9 goals and 50 odd games or something like that but yeah I don't, I don't I'd, I'll be honest if you had the line if I said I remembered my debut never mind that we're, the fact that we're 4 nil down it was obviously a token gesture trying to make me look worse bringing me on at 4 nil down but yeah no I don't I don't I definitely don't remember the, the debut so talk me through obviously you came into Dumbarton was it Jerry McCabe no it was Paul Martin who brought you in yeah. and then Jerry McCabe Paul Martin who you then went on to work with at Albion Rovers in the yeah. crazy gang years but talk me through Paul Martin at Dumbarton because he didn't have a great record Yeah. but he's obviously someone who, who was pretty influential in your career yeah and he was and, and Paul was just one of those guys that you loved playing for, do you know what I mean? Unfortunately, when he was here, it just didn't work out, and we, we had a lot of experienced um, players at the time, but not a lot of youthful, sort of good prospects. I think it was just more ex experienced guys, and sometimes that works, sometimes it doesn't. But yeah, Paul, Paul, Paul was 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 great. He, when I was at Montrose, he, he saved my saved my career definitely because I was on a a downward spiral. Um, away from football at that time as well so um, that was 2009 I think so I, I remember meeting him and 
Um, we had a great chat and he said, you know, you've still got a lot to offer and things like that. And, and, and obviously what happened when I, when I went back and worked with him, we, we won promotion and things like that. But yeah, he, he, he was great and it was brilliant because he actually stayed a couple of streets down from me. So I never had to drive here or anything like that, <laughs> apart from one time. And he used to pick me up and buy me a coffee and that. And then after the games, if I'd played well, he'd buy me something to eat on the way up the road. So <laughs> <laughs> it always worked out pretty well, you know. Hold on a minute. So what you've revealed here is that you were just a gaffer's pet. Do you yeah, basically, yeah, yeah, basically. Nobody really knew about that. To be fair, but yeah, that's an interesting goal bonus, isn't it? You know. I, I used to wash his car and all that if I didn't play well. You know what I mean? So I get paid at the end of the week. But I know. Listen, he, he was a great guy. I actually hadn't seen him for years and years until I met him um, in Glasgow about six months ago. And uh, it was just nice to see him again and, and, and catch up with him because uh, he's, he's got a lot... He's him and a few others have got a, a, a huge part to play in, in, in how I'm still playing, you know. Yeah, what's what's the secret then with a manager to get the most out of John Gemmell? Because it feels like you are a bit enigmatic as a player, like you can either be a world beater or yeah. you can be a, a not a world beater. You're sat quite close to me, so I'll keep that polite. <laughs> but obviously I know that uh, Stephen Tweed at Montrose, I think, wasn't it? Did, didn't work yeah. out. Uh, Scott Booth at Steny infamously yeah. didn't work out. So what what's the secret behind that? You know, I was actually I was actually talking about this yesterday, and I watched the the Figo documentary that has just came out on Netflix, and it, it was saying he didn't feel loved at Barcelona, but Real Madrid did everything they could to get him, and it, it's kind of similar to that. You know, you need you need somebody that's. I like to be not busy and not in about stuff, but I like to be in contact with the manager and stuff like that, and just just so you feel part of part of everything that's going on, you know. And um yeah, that Paul Paul and I used to speak near enough every day. Stephen T Stephen Tweed's I couldn't wait to not speak to him every day. Um not that listen, I, I met Stephen Tweed and I had played against him for a couple of years and and the plan sounded great. It just didn't work out. Me training once a week's never gonna be good for anybody. I was like, Yeah, yeah, I'm training with Paul on this week and I'm training with somebody else the week after and I wasn't, I was sitting in the house watching Champions League and eating a Domino's or something like that, I was like, ah, I, was, I worked really hard last night and I was just praying that he never actually phoned any of these clubs to find out if I actually went, you know what I mean, and he never did, and it, it, listen, it, it just, I signed a two year deal at Montrose and it, it was, it was just that north, north of Scotland, Glasgow, it just didn't work, do you know what I mean? It was there, there wasn't hatred between, but there was certainly wasn't really real friendship there. And and uh, aye, like you're saying, it didn't just didn't work out. He was from up that neck of the woods, um, and and like you're saying with Paul Martin, we were we were pally, but there was a line where the pallyness stopped, you know. And 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 I think that's just feeling part of it, being being in constant dialogue helps me, you know. Yeah. I was just going to say you mentioned the Scott Booth thing as well, but and there's like the difference between training once a week, but you don't want to have to do what Scott Booth was telling you to do. That like part-time club yeah. training. I think you said on the podcast that he was trying to get you in three times a week. Nutritional, you know, it needs to be somewhere in between the two. I, I think he came in. Yeah, I think to be fair, I mean, he's just one of these guys. I don't think he can separate himself from the level of football he played at. That's called part, the Roy Keane effect. That. Yeah, part time guys. You know, he was in, and uh, and uh, it was just, it was just madness. It was just the first night he came in, he he set up three possession boxes, and uh, it was crazy. We're all standing in a in a group, and he's like, right, this one's the Champions League, this one's the Bundesliga, <laughs> and this one's something else that nobody had played in. So 
obviously he said if you've played many of them go to the box and we all were looking at each other and he sort of done that he started laughing and he's like oh, I'm only kidding and I was like you know what this guy is yeah I don't know. <laughs> but I was like this guy is just an idiot do you know what I mean and from that night literally half the squad just couldn't be bothered with him and that was why it really it went so bad for me he started changing you know he told Nicky Devlin that he would, he would I'm pretty sure he told Nicky Devlin that he would never he would never go any further than part time, and in my opinion, Nicky Devlin should should be getting a chance with Scotland, where the boys that are getting a chance at right back, you see. And uh, I was like, this guy's not got a clue. Nicky Devlin at the time was probably one of our best players, especially for me because I was playing up front. But he was just, he was, he was mental. He was mental. He, he, and then at the end of the season, I remember he left me out for a lot of the games and. And I'd scored some at a goals for Stenis and I remember the last game of the season we played Breakin and away and he started me and we won four one, I think it was I scored two goals and each time I scored I just I either turned my strip round to point to the number or I just went over and I just eyeballed him. <laughs> and then on the way back we ended up getting a couple of beers and I was slotting him up at the back of the bus, like I used to do when I was a wee bit less immature. Um and then I remember when the last night before we broke away, um he said him and Bomber Brown Ferguson handed me a bit of paper and it was a a training regime. It was like a dietary plan <laughs> a training. I was like, mate, I said, You're giving this to the wrong guy. I said, I am I probably won't even have this by the time I leave leave the ground. And I never I remember going into the change room and putting it in the bin. And I was like, It's madness. Just mm. just uh he was trying to implement stuff that you couldn't implement a part time player. It's actually something that I remember uh, Dick Campbell touching on about the success at our growth was the fact that you've got guys who are training two nights a week, they've got the pressures of full-time work outside of football, and the key to his success at our growth, he said, was making training enjoyable. It's yeah. be hard work, but it has to be enjoyable, and, and I guess that's something that you would, you would go along with. Yeah, definitely. It's, uh, you need to, at part-time level, you need to, you to realise that you can't, as much as you want to do full sessions, like working on corners, working on throw-ins in the middle of the park, you can't do it, you've got like an hour, an hour and a half at this level on a Tuesday or a Thursday night and you do, you have to make it enjoyable for the boys, because if you get a couple of bad eggs it just affects the whole the whole place, do you know what I mean, and it brings down the, the standard in training so they, you know, they, 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 have to, they have to look into what they're doing and, 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 and they have to give have to give good sessions, you know. Yeah, well, going back to your first spell at Dumbarton, and I think if any Suns fan thinks of you in your first spell, there's two games that stick in mind. One for a good reason, which was Wraith Rovers away, and one for one of the most heartbreaking defeats. I think I can remember the 5-4 with Air United. Now, we'll start with the negative, we'll start with the Air one. Talk me through that game, if you can remember it, because Suns were 3-0 down after 12 minutes to Air United, Got one back through Andy Rogers in the 47th minute. I'm just looking at it in Sun's archive. This isn't off the top of my head. Although, um, really? <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretending. I'm looking at it in right, Sun's okay. archive. Uh, Kieran McInesby, who went on to play for Dumbarton, obviously, as did Raymond Logan, who scored the first goal. If you remember your fringe players of the squad of 2008-9, which I do, uh, made it 4-1. And then you scored to make it 4-2. Paul, uh, no, I've lost count now. <laughs> no, that is right. You scored to make it 4-2. Paul McKilkin made it 4-3. No, Andy Rogers made. Anyway, right. at one point I in remember. that game, at one point in that game, it was four all, and Suns had been three 0 down after twelve minutes. You came on, I think, as a sub at half time, if I remember correctly. Half my games were a sub, so <laughs> probably, you're probably <laughs> right. right. So what Button changes? What, what, what do you remember about that game? Because no, I, I do remember it being. being my, I'm pretty sure I scored a free kick. I'm pretty sure when I came on, I scored a free kick. Went under the wall, like you're saying, made it four two or something like. That. 
and I get it. it was quite a lot at that time. We were we were always either going a, a goal down or two goals down, and we'd maybe get back into it. But I, it was just it was just the way things were going at the time. It was we were we were always losing late goals, or we were just we never had any luck. But even in that game, like you're saying, five four, three 0 down, no chance. Back to four each, and we probably I'm pretty certain we did concede like in the last minute. It was late on, yeah, yeah. it was late on. Putting that one to one side, one of your kind of best memories, I'm guessing, from your first Belton Martin will be that game, the Scottish Cup against Wraith. So talk me through that and where, where that ranks in your your career. So that it's, was a, it's, a, it's a weird that, is, that was a weird season because I broke my foot at home. We played Stirling and Albion uh, in the league, I think, we, and for some strange reason, I was running down the wing and putting a cross in. And shock, I ended up breaking my foot because of it. I keep telling myself, don't do any more than you have to do. So I remember I put a cross in, something happened to my foot, played the rest of the game, and it turned out I broke the metatarsal on the outside, and then basically didn't play again until the week before the Rafe Rovers game. Came on, did well. Next thing I knew, I was starting the Rafe Rovers game. I think I missed a penalty. Yep. I think it was the only penalty I'd missed in my whole career until. When I went to Trun about probably 14 years later, and um, it was funny because Craig Britton's testimonial, I was playing against Big Marv, turned him in the box with the same, I call it the Michael Moles turn, it's not as elegant and, and as flamboyant as Michael Moles used to do it, but done the same turn on him, scored, and then that game, ball came into the box, done the same thing again. And I still slaughter him, I said, I still actually send him the picture of that uh, Big Marv all the time. And then obviously we, we we held out. We won one 0 And then I remember we were all in the we were all in the shower, uh, getting ready to, to head up the road. And then somebody said the draw was on. So half the boys are standing soap all over on the till. And then next thing it came out Celtic. Like ah, done Martin, done Martin, Didn't really bother me. I, I, I wanted Rangers or Ibrox or something like that. Do you know what I mean? But we got to Celtic. The boys were going were, were going mental. But um, just so has it that I I'd hurt my foot in that game again and then didn't play until the Celtic game at Celtic Park and I came on in the last 10 or 15 minutes or something like that I always felt really bad because John Dillon John Dillon was a massive Celtic fan and he was on the bench that day and I think a lot of boys knew that I was injured even and I think they only put me on because I scored the goal and, and it was kind of and the fans were chanting beast beast ah, yeah, I think so I always remember I came on and my dad was like, you got in the pub, make sure you smash one of them for me. <laughs> <laughs> and I came on the ball and Evander Snow took a bad touch and I just so happened to be there. I, just try, I, I did try to win the ball, obviously, but I think I caught him late. And I actually, I, I, I was limping about for the last five minutes of the game because my foot, and that was that was the last game I played. Because um, I remember sitting in the house, my foot was still, even months down the line, I had a, a letter from Dumbarton Football Club. It's like, your contract will not be renewed. Thank you very much for your service. I was gutted as well because uh, I, it was just injuries and stuff like that. That was what happened. But yeah, the Ray Rovers game was brilliant, and it was definitely, definitely that and uh, the Forfar game that we won three two. They were probably the two. They were probably the two biggest highlights anyway. Yeah. It's, it's uh, funny that you injured yourself running down the wing and putting on a cross, but didn't. Smashing of under snow. <laughs> ah, I know, I know, I know. It's, I, I keep telling myself, just stay in the middle of the park. Do not run or anything like that. Don't, don't do any running that you don't have to do. I actually also wanted to ask, and I wanted to bring it up there because you mentioned Michael Moles and playing against the old firm and you wanted to play against Rangers. You played against Rangers for Thistle at Ibrox yeah. in a team that Michael Moles was in. Arteta, Rickson, Kloss. 
for you, I mean, what was that like? I mean, you were, you were obviously young as well, but that must have been incredible. Yeah, I mean, I was I was uh, nineteen when I signed with Part eighteen when I signed with Partick Thistle, and then nineteen by the time we played Rangers first of November two thousand and three. I remember it exactly when it was. I've got it written down here. Right? Ah, I remember, remember what it was, yeah. and uh, yeah, my family and all that there. It was great, and it was amazing because I just you couldn't see a thing. I came on and I couldn't hear anything that anybody was telling me. And um, I think when we came on, I think it was well, like, I know I beat three one because I remember Grady, James Grady scored. That was that was amazing. I'd always wanted to play Ibrox for Rangers. Never was never good enough, and uh, playing against them, it was it was amazing and. And even now, my, my brother-in-law Stephen, he's a he's a mad mad Celtic fan. And when I told him the Celtic team that I played against was yeah, Hearts Larson. and Sutton and Larson, yeah. you know, he's last like, ah, big bobo. Remember we played um, we played Celtic in a league game, and uh, I went up for a header with big bobo, beat him in the air. I was I was, like, I was only young boy, so I was like <laughs> I was walking past, I was like, get up, you bobo, and all that. <laughs> and the next thing, the ball went out wide, and John Anise was the right back at the time, and he, and. I was like, I was like, oh, come on, I don't, I don't, I don't. I had my hand behind my back, and I was like, oh no, oh no, Bobo's not there. And instead of playing at my feet, he just played this floaty wee ball to my chest. I'm like, oh shit, where is he? Where is he? And then next thing, bang, he's like, <laughs> he just came right through the back of me, flattened me. I'd honestly I had concussion for about a month, <laughs> and then he picked me up and he's like, you will not do that again. <laughs> I was like, I don't worry, I promise I won't. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, aye, so nah, good good times and like like you say, playing against that Rangers team at the time. Um, I used to go to the games. Do you know what I mean? So uh, when I wasn't playing myself, it was it was amazing. It was amazing. Did you manage to get a shirt? No, I didn't. Cause you know, at that time, it was only really you only really do that in cup games, mm. not not in league games. Plus, I thought you don't I was, want to seem like too much a fan, I suppose. In that situation, I, I was right? massive time when I was at Thistle. Anyway, I thought I was the next <laughs> big thing. Do you know what I mean? I remember when we played. Celtic at Celtic Park for Dumbarton. Everybody was wanting Gravison strip, I think. I ended up with Stephen Presley. Absolutely horrendous. <laughs> <laughs> and all the, all the people, I think, I was like, I didn't think boys were going to get strips, and then I was like, oh, I better go and grab one. Me, Boyley, Chris, uh, Chris Boyle, he, he came back with Gravison he was buzzing, and I was like, Oh, Stephen Presley, man. I, like, man. I think we ended up using it to clean my boots over the years and all that. I was like, absolutely gutted. Who's out of that Celtic team? Who's who's struck? Would you have wanted, and what would you actually have done with it? Because I can't see your. Just anybody better than Stephen Presley, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I probably wouldn't. Have done. I, I was just taking it for the sake of taking. It. I had no interest in having a Celtic strip in my house. Never mind uh, taking it back in the bus. But like, it is what it is, you know. So we've obviously touched on that end of your career and you've spent the more recent period of your career playing in West of Scotland League and in juniors. There must be some cracking stories. You've told us a few off-air that maybe we'll stay off-air, but must be some cracking stories from there. But the first one I want to start with is you were at Cambuside Rangers last season and played alongside Scott Williamson, who's now at Queen's Park. Yeah. For my money, he's one of the most exciting players in the SPFL now. He's somebody that I'm keeping a really close eye on. But talk to me about him as a player and, and how he'll do with the step up. Yeah, so Scott just came out of nowhere. I think uh, we we had quite a thin squad, and um, I think he might have been playing for the youth team. I'm still, I'm not 100 percent sure, but he came in, and he was quite quiet. It was a few of the boys. I think they all came from Wee Jay Nelson. Um, they were they were quite pally. They all came up. 
He played a couple of games, scored a few goals, the next game he scored two goals, the next game he scored four goals, the next game he scored seven goals. What the hell is going on here? And uh, so he, he was just very, very raw, young boy, came for youth football and I wondered how it would be for him taking a step up because at that level there's no linesman. You know what I mean? The league below the, the Premier, there's no linesman. That's so. a really big jump as well, though, isn't it? Yeah. Aye, and I thought, I felt bad when Queen's Park got promoted to Championships. I was like, God, there's no way he's going to get a game. Do you know what I mean? And I thought when he goes to League One, he'll get a chance in the early, you know, at the start, a few sub appearances. But if he goes to the Championship, but done what he done at Cambridge Line, he proved everybody wrong. He's, he's, he's honestly, he's, I said to him, he's got the world at his feet. Me and him had like a love-hate relationship at Campslang because he probably thought of me as like the pure old bastard that said, I like you can't, you know what I mean? Just, I'm not listening to you, mate. I know what I'm doing and stuff like that. Whereas I'm like, you know, you need to hold, it's not all about just running past guys. You need to hold the ball in, you need to win headers. It's like, aye, aye, good one, mate. I've got 40 goals in 20 <laughs> games. But you've scored two goals. Uh, who's doing better here? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But I think he has, I think he listened in the background to what I was saying and, and, and obviously he's listen, he, he was the first person to text me, he was the first person to send me a message to say well done on your debut when I came on against Annan, which I never thought he would, it's not the way, listen, he's just a young boy, I'm an old guy, it's just the way it goes, do you know what I mean, and, and I, 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 I messaged him, as soon as I seen it last week he scored the winning goal, I couldn't wait to message him because I was delighted for him, do you know what I mean, because mm. you know, I'd like to think that not only myself, obviously all the boys did, but playing up front with him, I helped him a wee bit and try to see a bit of difference rather than just running through and goal, you know. I was just going to ask that, Did you, have you enjoyed that role, the the older you've got, the the, the more experience you've had of, of teaching young strikers and, you know, having a little effect on them and then it just, it, does it feel like it's paid off a little bit when you see him get a move like that? Yeah, definitely, and I'm not saying I've, I'm not saying I had anything to do with how well he's doing and anything like that, but like, when I was his age, I'd have been exactly the same, I didn't want to listen to anybody, I thought I was Billy Big Time, and as my best mate Stevie Cannon will tell you, he, he couldn't stand me when he played with me at Queen's Park, now, we're, now we've been best pals for 15 years, you know what I mean, so, but nah, it's great to see, and um, I did say to him, I said, just go to Queen's Park, listen, work with experienced professionals and I honestly think he'll be here for a couple of years and he'll go down south or something like that. I really do think he's got a really really good prospect and, and I hope he does really well. Well sticking with your time at Canvas Lang I was digging into old match reports and things like that yesterday when I was supposed to be working but because it was on work systems it kind of counts as work as far as I'm concerned <laughs> and uh, I spotted the game that you played the vast majority of in goals for Canvas Lang Rangers <laughs> but not on top of that Canvas Lang got a penalty and you went up and took it. Yeah, yeah. It's funny because I was just saying to Ali Love, we were talking about that in the, in the car there, and um, we played Peters Hill and Ian Stewart, the goalkeeper. He's a big fairy. He's fingering or something like that. <laughs> so I need to go to the hospital and stuff. And I, there was only one person that was going in goals. I was a captain at the time. I was like, I'm going in goals. He's like, no, I need you up front. I was like, I'm going in goals, mate. Don't care. So I put the strip on, it was like a small, <laughs> and at that time I was a bit bigger, do you know what I mean? So, but, and then we got a penalty 10 minutes later, and nobody even went to grab the ball, they knew I was going to take it, I just started marching up the pitch, <laughs> and Paul and Bill, get back and go, let's get back and go, I was like, fuck, I'm hitting this, 100% hitting this, I've hit all the penalties. Stanched the penalty, 1-0 up, and then I get beat by two of the best goals you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I came out and collected a couple of crosses, held a few crappy wee shots and then honestly one of the boys hit one for 25 yards and I was I, I still sometimes think about it because I was like I should have got that and I, I've went didn't have the quick enough feet so it was straight in the top corner and then the next goal was exactly the same I was like what chance you got do you know what I mean but I 
Played in goals, played everywhere, played at the back, played up front, so nah, it's not. Uh, if that penalty had been missed and they started on a quick counter attack, were you ready to get back? I was just going to chop somebody like this. <laughs> 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 hey, you were never going to miss anyway, so it's. Nah, fine. if the goalie had the ball, I was literally just going to go and shoulder bars the goal at the ground or something and give me <laughs> at least five minutes to get back to the goal. I know you'd obviously touched on it there and you'd filled in at centre half a wee bit. How did you find that and do you think it. Do you think you were a better centre half because you kind of understood how strikers would play? Yeah. And likewise, do you think it's helped you as a striker because you can now see the game from the other I side? I think against certain teams, especially at that level, maybe three quarters of the league, I was fine at centre half when we played. Like I remember when I was at Trun, I played centre half as well. And we played Talbot, and the two Wilson boys absolutely annihilated me. I couldn't even know where I was after about 20 minutes. And uh, but last season with Camus Lang, I think I played the first 10, 12 games or something like that at centre half. And then Big Anson went and played centre half, and I went back up front. But uh, listen, it was good because you know I can see everything, you can go and attack the ball, which I love doing. Anything your feet, don't get me wrong, when they, when they drop deep and I get dragged out of position, I was like, oh god, <laughs> what do I do here? Do I just chop them or do I start running back the way? And nine times out of ten, I just panicked and started running back. But I loved it, and and, and it just, like you're saying, it was it was good to see it from a, from another point of view, how you act and stuff like that. But I kind of know nowadays what, what boys are going to do and how to play up front, so. But it was a good good experience. We were talking, just moving on, so like after you left that, you obviously went away from football for a wee bit, you were playing with Stevie Farrell on over 35s, and we were saying that for any other guy in that changing room, they won't know what Stevie Farrell's like as a player. Now, he won't listen, so it's fine, so you can tell us, but what sort of player is, is the gaffer, and who's he like in the squad? Is there anyone who's kind of listen? That's a great question. Do you know something? He's, if I was the manager of that 35s team, he'd have been fined every week. He used to turn up on it. I'm not even kidding. Going five minutes before kickoff, <laughs> he just turns up with his boot, his coppers in his hand. He just gets changed, goes straight onto the park, and runs the show. He, he, one of the first game I played was we played a team up in Cumnock or something like. That. I can't remember what they were called. And uh, we were actually, I think we were actually waiting on him arriving. The game got delayed for like five minutes. He turned up, and the whole game we just kept on popping passes to each other, triangles, and just wee touches. And uh, like he actually turned around and said to me, "He's like, you know, I've been, I wish I'd played with you during my actual career because it's just so easy, just popping the ball on your feet and laying it off and stuff like that." But uh, you know, I was very surprised. He's actually, I'll get pelters for this, but he, he was pretty good to me. I don't ever remember. <laughs> I don't remember playing against him or anything like that in my career. But he, he, he's, he's. Uh, I think he's 50, I think he's just about to turn 50. Oh, Definitely not getting my 9 minutes today, <laughs> I think he's 49. I think he's um, only 41, so... Uh, no, mid-40s, mid-40s. I'm pretty sure he's 49. I think I read that somewhere, but um, no, he, he's, he's, he, you can see he's got really, really good ability, and um, it was it was good, it was a good laugh. Is there anybody in this current squad that you see that he can maybe see himself in? Any players who are kind of similar to the, the sort of player he is? Mm, I, I probably Joe McKee uh, again. A lot of these boys, I don't. They're all younger, a lot younger. Apart from Bucky and McGeever, I've played against them, and obviously, grown up and, and known Ali and his brother Rab. But Joe's quite similar. Joe gets on the ball. I wouldn't say that Stevie can make the runs that Joe makes, but uh, on the ball they're very similar. I and I think he maybe tries and implements a bit of that into how Joe plays as well. I wanted to bring up as well. You mentioned just about the. Uh, there's a lot of players here that are younger and stuff. I don't really want to make you feel your age, but I noticed against for Thistle you played against Russell Anderson. Yeah. You might be playing against his son today. Oh really? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I said to him the other night they, we, for the game on Tuesday night against Rangers B? The team sheet was up on the board, and I'd been over to 
and I walked away from it, I started laughing, and we finally said, what are you laughing at? And I was like, see, every date of birth, on the, I'd already played my first game for Queen's Park before any of them were born. I was like, that's absolutely horrendous. The Dumbarton played Rangers B in the Cup, was it last season? Yep. It was the start yep. of last yep. season, and yep. I did the prep, I, I'm a lot closer to your age and Fraser's, by the way, and I did exactly the same thing, every single player's date of birth or age, it was... Te- it was ter- 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 I think the closest person was like about maybe a month or so before I played that game for Queen's Park at Hamden, my first game, and I was like, ah. and it's a few of the boys, what are you doing here? Why are you still <laughs> a lot of my pals like, why are you still playing football? It's, it's, I don't know, I'm crazy. I think I think one of the players who played for Rangers the other night, and I could be wrong, but I think he was born in 2006. I seen one, <laughs> the, the earliest one I seen was 2005, but I'm, you're probably right, I'm pretty certain there was like a 15 year old playing. Just and even when we played the Ants two weeks ago, some of the boys that played that night were, were like 15, 16. And they probably, I, I actually think I like I look younger than 38, but I, I think they probably thought, geez, he's 38, oh my God. <laughs> we'll just uh, finish up asking you the question that's been on my mind since you signed. Why shirt number 99? <laughs> See, to be honest, there's no real reason behind it. I, 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 my biggest love is Italian football and especially AC Milan if you follow anything on you'll see and Ronaldo the, the original Ronaldo he wore 99 at the AC best Milan Ronaldo. No, it's not really I just Ali Love said to me that he's not giving me the number 9 strip <laughs> because 11 and 22 are taken and he said oh you could go 99 and then you're kind of like my big brother and stuff like that because that's right. I treat him as like my wee brother do you know what I mean but the, the whole Italian football thing's got a sort of bit to it and like I said Ronaldo when he played in AC Milan is, is he wore number 99 and AC Milan's like one of my, my, my big my big loves in life so and it's kind of Finlay Gray pinched 18 so you couldn't do the 1 plus aye, 8 one thing plus, as well I was like Zamorano or something like <laughs> I had that Inter Milan 1 plus 8 aye, it's a nice Inter Milan reference for the AC Milan <laughs> exactly family, yeah. Nice wee reference. Well, John, thank you very much for joining us. Enjoy your 11 minutes today. Thank well, you very much. Now you've been nice about the gaffer, it's up from nine. So Perfect. Well, uh, I look forward to you uh, up against Russell Anderson's son in that That'll one. That'd be great. Thanks very much for <laughs> that, Thank guys. you for joining us. Thank Cheers. you. Cheers. Thanks, guys. Welcome back, and we're going to take a quick look ahead to the fixtures this month. This is weird because we're doing this before the Elgin game, uh, and by the time you're listening to this, that will have happened. So congratulations to Sons on making club history, or commiserations <laughs> on the end of a fantastic start to the season and how will we recover from here. Anyway, looking ahead to the fixtures that are coming up this month and it starts with a trip to Bayview followed by a trip down to Stranraer where I will not be going because I will be in Milan where John Gem will be most disappointed to hear that I'm there and he's not and we will be recording the next podcast on the day of the Bonnie Rig Rose home match. Now, <laughs> now that's, that's a game I've certainly been looking forward to since, well, since not that I was happy about the relegation, but since the relegation and the promotion, uh, you might be looking forward to it in a completely different way. I'm just kind of excited to see you during that game, to be honest. It, it's funny because it, it feels like part of me is thinking... It's kind of that, your worst nightmare come true, isn't it? Yeah, it's like part of me is like, this is the chance for revenge for what happened years ago. The other part of me is like, I'm completely over it, you know, it's such a long time ago and we finished You're, the season really well. Nothing. But it is that thing that will just always haunt me, especially because Suns were in the championship at the time, Bonnie Rig were a junior club at the time. So, first of all, you have to say fair play to them, and they've looked really good since they came up. They've kind of continued that momentum to a certain degree. They've got, uh, as far as I'm concerned, the most excitable commentator in League Two, and I would very much like, like to have him alongside us when uh, when we're up doing commentary in that game. But it, it feels like it's maybe a chance to get even, but I also 
there's nobody really left from that time at the club and even how many fans will fully remember it or it's not like there's going to be any needle between the clubs or anything like that not yet not yet unless we end up going for like a title charge together or something but yeah it would be a i think it would be a sort of cathartic experience if we beat them just to put that to bed that's it that's bonnie rig over and done with we won't need to think about them ever again because now we're just Two League Two clubs. The fact that some cup tie happened in 2017 or whenever it was, that doesn't matter. Yeah, you're definitely over it, aren't you? Completely over yeah, it. Absolutely. Could you tell? Yeah. Yeah. And the other two games, obviously this month, East Fife away. And East Fife, I've been really impressed by this season. There was a lot of negativity before the season and, and they maybe did what Dumbarton did where they came down and it's like, right, you need to have a good start. You need to clear the negativity. You've got the same manager. Let's go for a fresh start. And it didn't really happen. They had a, a really torrid Betfred Cup. They... Uh, or Premier Sports Cup to give it its official name they had a really torrid time in that and the whole feeling around the club didn't look great and now here they are second in the league and absolutely flying so that will be a huge huge task regardless of what happens today um, against Elgin City that will be a huge huge task for Suns and it will be a game that I'm sure Ryan Wallace in particular is, is really looking forward to yeah absolutely it'll, it will be an interesting one because obviously Suns have had a good record against East Fife <coughs> excuse me certainly last season as well and they'll be in this position where they're probably going to be one of the the main contenders. Should things potentially stay the way they're looking at the moment, shall we say? But it would be a real. It, it feels like it would be quite a statement it, if you go there and win at this stage of the season, almost regardless, like you say, of the Elgin results. See, for the past couple of weeks as well, that's the game I've been looking at and not looking forward to, hmm. and I don't know why. It's just something. I think it's. I mean, we have a pretty dreadful record at Bayview in recent years. Even last year, losing twice there, and beating them comfortably at home twice it just uh, seems like a bit of a bogey ground at the moment and maybe it's just that playing on my mind but that's the game like I, I looked forward to the Annan game I had a wee bit of trepidation but I thought you know what like this this could be a marker if we can put something down looking forward to the Elgin game today uh, looked forward to Stenishmuir last week because it was a chance to put down a marker and it's a ground that I, I really like being on the terracing at and that East Fife game has just kind of been hanging over me. I can't explain why. Maybe because I tipped them to struggle this season and they've got it pinned up in the dressing room along with Ryan Wallace on the dartboard. And by the sounds of his chat off air, John Gemmell uh, takes a wee bit of stick from the East Fife fans as well. So maybe he's joining them on that dartboard. Yeah, it's going to be tasty. And then obviously in between Bonnie Rig Rose and East Fife, it's a trip away to Stranraer. There's also, we haven't mentioned, but it's a, you know four out of five away games coming up. That's going to be a real test. Stranraer, do you think there's maybe a little, you know, a little Stevie Farrell factor? I mean, there could be because there's yeah. going to be there's going to be players in that squad who know him. Obviously, mm -hmm. Jamie Hamill, their manager, played under him and then stepped up to be the manager. Daryl Duffy, he signed and spoke about a couple of weeks ago when he signed John Gemmell. Actually, has been like I think he said centre halves and centre forwards are the two players who you can kind of doesn't really matter what age they are because they've got that experience and they almost get better with age because they read the game better. They know how to play smart, even if they're maybe their bodies are a wee bit more limited than it was. So that'll be interesting. Also, Suns, it's weird because when I was growing up, Stranraer always felt like the bogey team. Um, and in recent years, that's not really been the case. Suns have actually had pretty much the upper hand over Stranraer. And that makes me even more nervous. But I'll be at F1 in Monza, so I won't know. I'll be frantically checking the score, uh, but I won't know. I was going to say, as if you're not going to be checking the score. <laughs> I don't I don't believe it for a second. But it, it, four, out, four out of five away games, it's 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 a test. It's unusual as well, isn't it? It's, it yeah, and, and it means that uh, we have an 
we're going to have a period in the season where we're doing an awful lot of uh, preparation. <laughs> uh, yeah, I did. I did think about that. I was like, oh, because uh, I'm away on holiday as well in in a couple of weeks, and I was surprised to see that it, you know, just spoiler, I didn't book it before the fixture list went out. So I was quite uh, happy to see that it, it didn't clash. But yeah, you need to remember that there's going to be a couple of weeks where we're going to be back at it. But in the COVID season, we were doing a game every two days and. We were absolutely fine. I can't even believe that we managed that at the I time. I so. still look back on that and think it's bizarre. Like we, we Yeah, they're all still on my calendar. So I yep. look back and the amount of like yellow on my calendar for those games is Saturday, ridiculous. Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. And you had full sets of notes on all four teams that we got. It was just absolutely wild that mm. season. But thankfully, thankfully, we're not having to do anything quite that bad. Yeah, but really looking forward to getting back to doing it today with Elgin City. And too good, too bad. <laughs> okay, now we're going to do a little feature that we are going to do I think on podcast throughout the way and you may have noticed our goalkeeping coach's superb voice over there which uh, we thoroughly enjoyed getting him to do and if you have any suggestions for things you would like to get Eric Phillips to say please just DM me on Twitter <laughs> it's like a cameo, cameo isn't it <laughs> could start charging for this actually yeah. um, so too good too bad in the true match of the day two style we're going to look at two good things that we've noticed from them across the lower leagues this month and two things that are not so good and I don't know if you want to kick us off, Chris McMillan. Yeah, well, too good. Uh, listen, just need to... I wasn't particularly sure, but then last night, Air United really changed my mind. And what you know, what a start they've had. We obviously, we've got a good friend who's an Air United fan as well, so he better be listening and uh, he'll, he'll, he'll enjoy this section. But yeah, where does that start come from? They've just been absolutely flying. Also, like, you know, I mentioned uh, on the... the the terrace at the back end of last season, Kerr McInroy, and he, he's gone as well. And Wow, just... You know, their performance last night against uh, Dundee was so good that Lee Bullen almost smiled. <laughs> well, I, I, some of you may have picked up my allegiances. I don't ever want to see Lee Bullen smile. So. <laughs> but yeah, Deepo Akinyemi is sort of flavour of the month at the moment, but that second goal that he scored was just about the perfect striker's goal. Take the ball into feet, we shimmy, get rid of the defender back in, get rid of him, and then spank the ball in the top corner. It was an absolutely beautiful goal, wasn't it? Yeah, so we might end up talking about them perhaps a little bit more in the in the next section. But uh, yeah, what about, what about your two good? Uh, my two good is another team who I sort of thought would struggle at the start of the season, like Air United, and who are actually flying at the moment, and that's Clyde. Mm-hmm. Um, Clyde, at the time of recording, sit third in League One. Obviously, Conor Duthie moved there from Suns uh, at the end of the season, but... The big issue Clyde had last year was that defensively they were pretty catastrophic a lot of the time. They had a brilliant goalkeeper in Neil Parry and then kind of nothing ahead of that and they've addressed that. They brought in Brian McLean who was a Dumbarton player quite briefly under Jim Duffy and was a really, really sort of quality looking centre-half, strolled through games and Peter Grant who's a player who I've always liked to obviously has been about Falkirk, Queen's Park, Morton and, and wherever else, Plymouth I think for a wee bit when Paul Payton was down there and that's really, really secured them up. They look good at the back, they look a threat going forward Ross Cunningham is playing through the middle now having previously played out in the left and out in the right and he's been on fire from what I've seen so far so I'm kind of it's a good yeah. job, I didn't, I didn't predict League One because Clyde have started it on fire and I, I would have tipped them and Peterhead and another club that we're going to touch on probably mm. to struggle a wee bit Well we need to remember as well, Clyde didn't exactly survive massively comfortably either And this was their first full season without Goodwillie as well, yeah, so exactly. I, I'm hugely, hugely impressed And Danny Lennon is also a manager I really like, but mm. also a man that I have a lot of time for I think when you do post-match with managers and you get some who obviously don't really want to be there. You got the ones who are quite vague. Danny Lennon always comes up, shakes your hand, talks to you 
and only you. Like you feel like you're, I don't know, you feel like you're the only person who matters to them at that time. And I, I really like that. I really like Danny Lennon. I think he's a, a cracking manager and a really classy guy as well. So sticking in League One, I think, who's your too bad? The too bad? Listen, it's FC Edinburgh or Edinburgh City, as they should be called. My too bad is the name change. Honestly, I can't stand it. Like, I can't remember what the exact reason was. We, were, In fact, you said it was something about a social it's, club. Yeah, apparently the social club, there's an Edinburgh City social club and they won't give them the rights, I think I'm right in saying, to exclusively use the Edinburgh City name, despite the fact that it hasn't obviously been an issue for the past however many years. Yeah, exactly. It just seemed like such a strange decision, a knee-jerk decision. I don't know where it came from. It's not like a... It doesn't feel like a complete rebrand or anything like that. And also, they didn't consult the fans. It's just... I cannot explain how angry something like that would make me as a supporter. It's and it just, you know, maybe it just stings a little bit that they, uh, they got promoted at Dunbarn's expense, you know. But It's it's also a rubbish name. Yeah, exactly. Edinburgh, exactly. Edinburgh is a brilliant city. Yeah. And Edinburgh City have quite an interesting kind of history behind them. So if they could maybe have done a wee nod to like your Meadowbank Thistle, for example, and it could have been Edinburgh Thistle. Fine. Perfect. And you go, you know what? It, it felt rushed. Yeah. yeah. It felt like, let's change the name. Oh, uh, how about, and then they sat with a wee list of names and they went, we'll just go for FC Edinburgh because that sounds kind of like FC Cologne or something. No. Dreadful. Um, now, obviously, we're not we're not bitter at all at being relegated <laughs> by Edinburgh City. Uh, this but is I'd, just the first <laughs> thing we've had to talk about. <laughs> um, but my, my too bad is also Edinburgh City. Uh, it's not their name change, which is pretty rubbish. Their kits do look quite nice, but then they've got the... Uh, FC Edinburgh at the top and the name at the bottom I noticed I'm pretty sure anyway unless all their players have names that look like Edinburgh um, but no the, the biggest issue for me with Edinburgh City at the moment is their ground which is horrific and I feel sorry for them because it's not them it's a council owned ground and they obviously got decanted out of the old meadow bank which for somebody who's into that sort of architecture was a, a, a mecca of a stadium and I just thought it was great it was like such a fantastic throwback um, but yeah, they obviously got punted out of the old Meadow Bank, went to Ainsley Park, which was an alright place to watch football. I, I think it was never really home to them, and the transport links were pretty woeful. But it's a bit, it's a bit it was a bit leisure centre. It's very know, leisure centre, yeah. but it was it was alright. It was a perfectly fine place to watch football, um, apart from when your team are losing four one and getting relegated on a Wednesday night. But it was a <laughs> you know it was, it was an alright round, and they've gone to what can only be described as a running track, with the world's worst football stand. Alongside it, it's three rows and stretched across the length of the pitch. If you haven't seen it, please go online and have a look. So, the way you get round having a running track is by having a high stand. That's what you have to do. You can't have a low stand, a running track, a low stand that goes three rows long, or three rows high, across the whole length of the pitch, so you're not going to get an atmosphere there. And then, to make matters even worse, they were like, well, obviously, that only holds... I don't know if it's a 1,000 or 500, a small number. They've got Falkirk in that league. They've got Dunfermline in that league. Both Falkirk and Dunfermline have been, and their fans have been planted around the edge of the running track. Oh, the views, the, I've seen some of those photos on Twitter, the views from the from the end of the, behind the goals almost. You, you, like, for those of us who aren't blessed with fantastic vision, now, I have contact lenses in at the moment, I can see Chris. If I didn't have my contact lenses in, for those of you watching the stream, I couldn't see Chris. I would just know there was a kind of blob sat opposite me. But even with my even with my contact lenses in, I could feel them looking at that picture. I could feel my contact lenses drying out as I screwed up my eyes to try and see who Edinburgh City were playing. It was, um, aye, the stadium looks abysmal and they, they have to do something about that. I've read things as well, like they've got two toilets or something, portals for away fans. And, you know, I, I think there is some plans to build a stand on the other side. <coughs> 
please, City of Edinburgh Council, before we play Edinburgh City again, save my eyesight. Please build that stand. I think they've got a lot more things on their on their plate at the moment. <laughs> uh, but, you know, with uh, Edinburgh getting promoted, um, any slight chance of them listening to us is probably probably gone. So. Yeah, no, they won't be that bothered. Don't be that bothered. And on that note, that positive note, talking about bodying the team who comprehensively outplayed Dumbarton at the tail end of last season, we will thank you all very much for listening. Please do stay tuned. We're going to have the next podcast recorded before the Bonnie Rig game, which means I won't be able to talk about Bonnie Rig, so that'll be good. That'll be nice and... Uh, <laughs> not bringing any memories back from what may or may not have happened when Adam Nelson skipped the ball in off the post in the 88th minute and Kieran McGacky ran to celebrate right in front of us and the various things that happened that day on a miserable night that I'm definitely over. Thank you very much for joining us. It yeah, has, it's yeah, been good fun. It's been an absolute pleasure. It's uh, something we've been speaking about for a couple of years now and it's really good to yeah, just get it launched and get it get it up and running. So yeah, thanks very much for listening and yeah, please get in touch as well if you if you have ideas, things yeah. you want Eric to say. Things you want Eric to say, exactly. Get in touch with us. Thank yeah. you very much for listening, guys. Thank you.